As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Episode 159 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you once again in part by cloud accounting software FreshBooks with a 30-day free unrestricted trial. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. Optimistic in the face of disruption means that you have the capability and the versatility and the resilience to move through the disruption and leverage it and be better as a result of it. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, here's Jeff. Hi there, I'm so glad you're here. It's the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. Pick it up some steam as last month accounted for the most downloads in a single month yet. An all new record. And I love to see that. Thank you so much. Topic of leadership, of course, is always a central part of our discussion here. We dig into additional topics like personal growth, productivity, career, business, marketing, sales, and entrepreneurship. And in just a moment, you and I are going to sit down with Julie Williamson, PhD. She's the co-author, along with Peter Sheehan, of the book Matter, Move Beyond the Competition, Create More Value, and Become the Obvious Choice. With your permission, I'll be asking Julie about the roles that challenging assumptions and taking an optimistic view of the future play in moving beyond the competition, the necessary beliefs that, when embraced, will set your company apart, how to go far beyond just the buy-sell relationship, and much, much more. And a special hat tip to members of the Read to Lead University Book Club who had a hand in helping me with today's questions for Julie. And the Read to Lead University Book Club is exactly that, a book club where I and members of the group meet on a monthly basis to discuss a book that we're reading together. Sometimes the authors even join us for those discussions. And there's always back and forth about the book we're reading throughout the month in our private Facebook group. To find out more about it, text the word university to 33444 if you're in the States. That's university to 33444. Otherwise, just visit readtoleaduniversity.com. Making this episode of the podcast possible is our friends over at Cloud Accounting Software 
fresh books. I've been digging into fresh books more as of late uh, as I prepare my 2016 taxes. And boy, does it take a lot of the headaches out of getting all that stuff together. In fact, it wasn't too long ago that I had to prepare a special report for my bank. I don't even remember what it was, but it was so easy to do that just by going into fresh books and clicking on the report that I needed. And it spit out all the information in this nice professional looking report that I could just hand to the bank and say, here's what you need in order to give me money. And they happily obliged. FreshBooks is awesome. (laughs) I've been using it since 2009. And I couldn't believe about a year ago when they approached me and said, hey, we'd like to sponsor Read to Lead. We're fans. And I got to say, well, I'm fans of you too. Let's let's do this thing. And so they've been very generous and continue to support the show. And, And your way of supporting the show can be as simple as visiting this link and trying FreshBooks out free 100% for 30 days. The link is freshbooks.com slash read to lead. Freshbooks.com slash read to lead. As I mentioned, free 30-day trial, and that includes everything that FreshBooks has to offer, including new platform features just released late last year. Freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section one more time. That's freshbooks.com slash read to lead. Julie Williamson, Ph.D., is the chief growth enabler of Karakens Group, responsible for strategy and research. She is a leading voice in how organizations create sustainable growth by linking communication, design, strategy, sales, marketing, and service. She is a grounded theory researcher, and she uses traditional and progressive resources in her strategy and transformation work. And she focuses on helping clients arrive at solutions that are informed by data and inspired by creativity. Julie has a passion for working with clients on customer and employee engagement, as well as building strategies focused on growth. And as I mentioned, Julie and Peter Sheehan have co-authored the book, Matter, Move Beyond the Competition, Create More Value, and Become the Obvious Choice. Julie, welcome officially to the Read to Lead podcast. Excited to have you here. Great. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate being here. Well, I thought it would be good to, to start off, Julie, with answering the question as to whether the book's concepts work best when applied to organizations, or, or do, they, do the observations and the lessons here work for pretty much anybody at, at any level who wants to matter more through the work that they that they do? You know, I think they really have application to both. That's such a great question. But I do think how all of the leaders in a particular organization choose to show up mm. creates the collective momentum for the organization. So those individual choices to do things that matter more each and every day can collectively create an organization that is having an incredible impact on its industry. Well, Let's define that term value. It's part of the title of the book, the phrase create more value. What does it mean, Julie, to create more value in in this context? You know, one of the things that we really learned as we were researching this book is that over um, particularly the 90s and into the 2000s, In larger companies in particular, we spent a lot of time on operational efficiency, and that's a great side of the profit equation, but it's not the only side. There's also this side that says you should sell more stuff to more people (laughs) at a different price point, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> and so while it's definitely valuable to focus on operational excellence and, and focus on um, driving out your cost equation, we believe that um, it needs to be deep in the DNA of your business to always be looking outside of the organization and looking at ways to create more value for your customers, for your communities, for your employers, and therefore for your investors. So it's that outward perspective that for us um, really embodies that construct of value. Mm. Well, well, Julie uh, divides the book in uh, three very easy to read uh, sections. There's elevate perspective, there's uh, elevate uh, relationships, and uh, elevate impact. Now, let's start with with the elevated perspective concept and and something you spent a fair amount of time on the book, which I found fascinating. What does it mean to discover, Julie, the edge of disruption? Right. You know, we hear all of this talk about disruption and um we see this sometimes fear of it or this trepidation about what it really means to be disrupted. And I think that when we work with companies that are out on the edge of disruption or individual leaders who are putting themselves out on their own edge of disruption, it's that place where you can work from a burning ambition instead of from a burning platform because you've got all of the skills and resources and abilities that you've been building up over time that have made you successful but you're willing to pivot and look out to the horizon and to say, what's coming? What do I know? What do I need to learn? What can I leverage? And take a step into the unknown, maybe in a market, maybe in a new product, maybe with new customers, maybe with a different value proposition, but to continue to push forward rather than just resting on what you've done in the past. And I find, too, uh, I come from a, a radio background and there's a, a real desire by many to just want to uh, you know, do things the way they've always been done. And there's sort of protect our territory kind of mentality. And the content can only be delivered you know, over a, a traditional uh, FM or AM signal, for example. Uh, what roles do, do having the courage to challenge assumptions and, and taking an optimistic view of your industry's future play in all this? You know, I just feel like optimism is so important. If you're not optimistic about the future of your industry or your business or your products, then you're probably doing the wrong thing, right? <laughs> because you have to believe that there's a way that what you're doing matters and that it has value. And if you don't inherently believe that, it's time for a little gut check, right? Mm. And you know what? That's okay. I tell people, if you need to do that, that's okay. Do it. Better to do it and go out onto your own edge of disruption than to continue to just be in an organization or doing something that, that you don't really feel passionate about. I would distinguish optimism from delusion, right? <laughs> delusion is nothing will ever change and it's going to be fine. That's not optimistic at all. Optimistic in the face of disruption means that you have the capability and the versatility and the resilience to move through the disruption and leverage it and be better as a result of it. It doesn't mean that you can successfully ignore it. Well, Julian Peter called chapter two, the learn chapter, subtitled establish your point of view. What are some of the, the methods you recommend companies leverage, Julie, to do that? You know, I, I can't emphasize enough, actually, and it's suitable, for, I think, especially for this podcast, the importance of reading, right? Mm -hmm. Read what's out there. There's so much great industry press. There's so much information that is available to you. When you go to conferences, be present. Go to the conference and be in the moment, right? Get um, the essence of what you're hearing. Talk to people who are outside of your industry. So many times I have clients who say to me, Julie, I just don't have the time to read. And I look at them and I say, you don't have the time not to because... <laughs> 
things are happening whether you know about them or not, right? Right. So we have to, as leaders and organizations, we have to take personal responsibility for that. And we also have to figure out ways to enable our teams to main, to develop and maintain their perspective and their point of view. It is not a marketing exercise. It's truly about how we develop our people. I, I, one of my favorite chapters of the book, Julie, was chapter three. It's all about being known for what you know. What are the necessary uh, beliefs, Julie, that, that once embraced will, will set companies apart from, from the competition? I think there's one fundamental um, construct that is different today than it was in generations past. And that is, you do need to be known for what you know. And once you know it, it starts to depreciate, right? It starts to lose value. (laughs) So this idea that knowledge is power, right? It's actually continuing to learn and develop new knowledge is where the power lies. What you knew yesterday is only going to get you so far. Mm. So retooling your thinking to say, how do I get what I know out there and establish my position as a thought leader in whatever it is that I do? That's far more powerful than holding on to it and not letting anybody else know about it because people will figure it out sooner or later. And then you'll be at a disadvantage. And are there benefits to being provocative uh, in, in attempting to do that? I think so. I think it does depend certainly on the industry and on the moment. But I think there's definitely a need for some boldness, right? Mm-hmm. And people being willing to have the courage to um, to make a statement and to back it up with research and to back it up with, you know, in, intelligent thought and to say, this is where I believe the industry should go or is going. And here's how my company and here's how I'm going to lead that. Mm-hmm. Well, let's move to uh Elevated relationships, uh, starting with uh, influence. What does it mean, Julie, to, uh, as you say in the book, play high? I think when we think about relationships, it's not just um, with your customers, but also with sometimes people in your industry or your competitors. How do you move up as high as possible in those organizations and have the greatest amount of influence to help guide and shape the disruptions that are inevitable in any industry rather than simply playing catch up or trying to survive them? Well, uh, you use a phrase that grabbed my attention. What do you mean when you say engage like you mean it? Yeah. You know, I just really believe in that construct very, (laughs) uh, very much because so often I see um, these quote unquote partnerships, right? Or we're going to collaborate, but it's not, you're not really all in, right? They're (laughs) putting a toe in the water or they'll throw someone a bone, but they're not actually fully being present and showing up for that partnership. Mm. And I think that's a shame for everybody, right? It's a shame across the board. So when we say engage like you mean it, it means be willing to commit your resources and your time and your attention to make sure that there's value in partnerships that couldn't be achieved otherwise, And I think that's the key. Well, how do we now leverage uh, this elevated perspective and and elevated relationships to to get to the point where we're elevating impact and, as, as the book title says, becoming the obvious choice? You know, I think that is the biggest step that people have to take is to be willing to have an elevated impact on their industry, for their employees, for their customers, whatever that looks like, because that's where you really make that turn and you establish yourself as a company that truly does matter more. And that means that your communities will advocate for you to be in their 
in their space. It means that your employees are advocating for you as being the best place to work, where the best and brightest want to come. And it means that your customers are advocating for your products and services and pushing for um, the distribution models to make sure that you have that they have access to what it is that you're offering. So that looks very different, obviously, in consumer versus B2B versus government relationships. But in a nutshell, that's what an elevated impact really is all about. It's having that level of meaning for the most important people in your world. What would you say, Julie, are some industries that are leading the charge in this area? I know healthcare is one of them that you mention often in the book. Are there others that you that come to mind? You know, one of my favorite case studies in the book is certainly Domtar, which is a paper company. And the paper company, as you know, has had an uneasy relationship <laughs> perhaps with the environmentalist groups for a long time, right? Right. A few years ago, Domtar really just took the bull by the horns and they were like, you know what, this needs to be better. We need to be better. We need to matter more. And so Earth Choice, which was ultimately the outcome of a partnership with organizations like the World Wildlife Foundation and the Forest Stewardship Council, um, is now one of the most sustainable, if not the most sustainable paper in the world. And you can go into uh, Best Buy or Office Max or wherever and buy reams of it and know that you're buying a product that has fundamentally reshaped the industry in a way that makes our forests more sustainable. Hmm. This might be a tough question, but are there industries that should be leading the charge in this area, uh, but aren't making much progress in doing so? You know, I think that's a great question. Um, I, I work in so many different industries, hmm. and there's you know pockets everywhere where people are doing amazing things. I do think there's potential in the car industry, for example, to be a little bit more aggressive in reshaping things like how people buy and sell cars. Um, you know, that distribution model is very um, traditional. Mm-hmm. And you know, we just heard Elon Musk say the other day, if you're still buying cars, you're doing it the wrong way, right? <laughs> It was a terrible misquote of him. It was something like that, though. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that's the point being that, you know, there are probably ways to rethink that that could really change the industry in important ways. And, and we don't see a lot of movement there. As you were mentioning that, I was thinking of and I'm not real familiar with their model, but uh, is it Carvana? I think it is. Are you familiar with that company at all? I am not. From what I have read, it involves uh, you, know, you never leaving your home, the car being delivered to your driveway, things of that nature. You, know, you pick out exactly the car you want and it just shows up. Exactly. I think those sorts of opportunities are long overdue. And and I do recognize, by the way, there are com- companies like that that are challenging the model, but it's deeply entrenched even in government regulations, You know what you can and can't do in different states. You know, there's a lot of old school thinking in that particular model. And isn't it interesting too, and I think one of the examples you, you cite in the book, like the grocery uh, industry where, yeah. you know, in the early 1900s, and I, I didn't even really think about this, you showed up with your list and you gave it to a clerk and they brought everything to you and Piggly Wiggly sort of disrupted that and said, hey, let's let's have people, you know, pick out their own groceries and, and bring it to a checkout, etc. And now there are companies moving in and sort of revisiting that older model. And it's sort of it's like fresh again, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, isn't that just such an interesting example, right? Like imagine that, 
you know, the guy who founded the Piggly Wiggly had to invent shopping carts because <laughs> otherwise his I, big idea wouldn't work, right? right? So you see those things that shake things up and they shake up the consumer. They ask more of the consumer, by the way, too, and, the, and that's a great example of it. Um, but it creates value. And now this idea of going back to more of a, of a concierge type service for grocery is creating value by giving people time back. So, you know, we live in pre- predominantly in the United States, two income families. Mm. You know, both people are working. There's not a lot of spare time to go and do the grocery shopping. And giving people time back is a huge value proposition in a lot of households. As you think about that, is your research revealing to you uh, any other industries or are there any that come to mind that are going back to revisiting uh, a model of from the past and, and finding success in that? To extend the grocery one, you know, now we're looking at things like Blue Apron where they deliver it to your door. And, and at the same time, they're also teaching people different ways of cooking, right? Mm-hmm. So you used to have to go to school, right, and potentially and learn some of these things. But now it comes to your home and you have the opportunity to experience it in that space. So how we even um, teach people or, or connect with people from an education perspective, I think, is changing quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And potentially, in some ways, returning to some older approaches to um, engaging people in the learning process. Yeah, and you made me think of colleges. I think colleges are being challenged every day by the internet. Uh, I mean, you have a PhD. Um, I, what, what are your What are your thoughts on on that? <laughs> you know, I teach too, and so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's um, it's exciting though. I, you know, one of the things I love seeing in academics these days in college campuses are hybrid classrooms where you have people who are participating in the moment and online at the same time, or virtually, I should say, at the same time. And so it requires a different skill set from the professor because you have to be able to manage the classroom and the remote environment. You have to usually manage a team of people, TAs or whoever who are working for you doing the production work and um, be able to engage in a different kind of way. So we're asking, you know, potentially professors to change how they teach in addition to students changing how they learn. And I think that's really fascinating. Before I move on to uh, some questions, Julie, not directly related to the book, is there anything else from the book you want to make sure we know? You've asked some really great questions and kind of gone through it in a, in a really nice way. So I appreciate oh, that. Um, yeah, that diligence is always appreciated. I think the, the main thing for me and I think for Peter as well with the book is that we just really had a passion for understanding what it takes for organizations and for leaders in organizations to really step up. And to ask much of themselves, as well as the other people who are parts of their worlds. So there, again, we go back to that boldness, right? Just being really willing to um, put yourself out there and and take some risks, but also, you know, ask a little bit more of, of yourself and of your organization in terms of how you shape um, the world that you live in and how you create more value. And that was our main question behind it. Excellent. Well, I'd like for you to think, Julie, about the books that you have enjoyed over the years. So I want to ask you what you would say are the, the two or three titles that, that come to mind right away as, as having had a big impact on you. And if you're willing, maybe share how they've impacted you. You know, I'm a huge reader, so that's a big question. <laughs> so it's like picking a favorite child or something. <laughs> it, it kind of is. I think from a, from a work perspective, I do have to say that um, Kuzas and Posners back in the 90s wrote the Leadership Challenge. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah. But it certainly shaped me at an early point in my career. And I find it just as relevant today as it was 20 years ago. 
Um, so when somebody asks me for a good recommendation, that's always, especially younger people who are just coming into leadership roles, mm. that's always um, a recommendation for me. Going to the other end of the spectrum, I think that I just recently read um, Charles du- Duhigg's, mm. Duhigg's book, The Power of Habit. Yeah. I thought that was an excellent book, obviously much newer than The Leadership Challenge. But I think that he's done a really nice job of digging into something that is really important if you're interested in things like change and transformation and disruption. Great suggestions. Well, what is next uh, for you? I know the book has been out for, I guess, about a year now. What are you and your team working on now that you're, you're really excited about? You know, we have been so fortunate, I think, to have great um, feedback on the book from people and great questions from folks like yourself about what does it really mean. And we've been able now to take it into a lot of different, you know, client situations and start to look at how we develop what we call a a growth enablement model. So obviously this idea of value being outside as well as inside Hmm. is all about how do you grow your company as effectively as possible. So we're working on um, a new five dimension model that shows how to be growth enabled as an organization. And we're pretty excited about that. We're gonna be uh, rolling that out in the next little bit of time. Well, excellent. The book, again, is Matter, Move Beyond the Competition, Create More Value and Become the obvious choice. I found the the examples particularly fascinating, and I think you will as well, seeing how this works itself out in the real world. Julie, thank you so much for your time, and we really appreciate you coming on and sharing with us uh, your expertise. Of course. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. As usual, we've created a page especially for this episode with the links and resources you may want to dig into a little more deeply. And you can find that on the website at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 159 for episode 159. Please remember our sponsor. When you support them, you're indirectly supporting us. That's FreshBooks. Visit freshbooks.com slash read to lead to take advantage of that free 30-day trial. And be sure to enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. I just checked iTunes moments ago, and the Read to Lead podcast is at officially exactly 300 ratings and reviews, 288 of those, five stars. Thank you so much. If you've yet to rate and review the podcast, you can do that by going to readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes, also readtoleadpodcast.com slash Stitcher. I am one blast guy. I appreciate the ratings and reviews. I appreciate the record number of downloads. I appreciate our charter members in the Read to Lead University book club group and everyone else who will one day be a member of Read to Lead University. That's going to do it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the next episode of the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. 